This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, how you doing? Y'all ready to do some work today? Yeah, I am. I tell you what, I, I don't care if you are. We're going to go anyway. Now, y'all ever, y'all ever get in arguments with people that are just straight up stupid? You know, that ever happened at your house? I don't know if it happens at anybody else's house, but it definitely happens at our house. The, the first stupid argument that I can remember my wife Amanda and I having uh, is an argument that surprisingly enough has found a lot of sustenance over the years. It's one of them that just keeps coming back. And you know what? It, we were fighting about toilet paper. Y'all ever get in a fight about toilet paper? There's two kinds of arguments that we have about toilet paper. The first argument that we had about toilet paper, it was not the first in sequence. It was just one of those that first arose was how you actually put the roll of toilet paper in there, right? Because there's two ways that the toilet paper can sit. It can come out at the bottom and it can come out at the top. And I've always been an over-the-top guy, right? And Amanda was a let's bring it up from the bottom person. And, and I, I, I'm not going to say who won the argument, right? But, but let's, just say, let's just say that it was a point of tension for a little while. The, the other argument that continues to happen is this, and it's, it's, it's one of those that it's an argument, but you feel bad when it happens. It's when you walk in to the bathroom and there's, there is no, no toilet paper, right? There's just a cardboard tube sitting where the toilet paper is supposed to be. And that means that somebody didn't put something back there. Now, there's two things that happen, especially if you like, you know, in the middle of something and you didn't think about that before you, right? And then there's that, there's a thought, well, someone just didn't put what we got there or the worst thought, I hope we ain't out of that stuff, right? <laughs> I hope there was some that should be there so I can be upset about that. I mean, get in stupid arguments. We do. Let me just pause and tell you something, Okay. I'm just going to speak to you as your pastor. Never going to escape conflict. As a matter of fact, there's some of you in this room. In the last three or four weeks, you've made significant decisions in your life to follow Jesus. And when we make those decisions, we think the world is about to make sense to me. Everything's going to go smooth from here on out. And that's just not the way it works. As a matter of fact, Jesus promises in Scripture in this world, you're going to have some trouble. But if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. So today I want to look at what it takes to win in the middle of conflict because it's something that we're never going to walk away from. I mean, it's going to be present in every dynamic in every relationship that you have. And it's one of those things that over time in dealing with people, I have noticed that folks will play the wrong game in this scenario more often than not. And that brings me to my, my first point. And it's something I've told you all the way through this. And this is just out of love for you can't win if you're playing the wrong game. 
You can't. And today's text comes out of maybe the most familiar passage when we're dealing with the life of young David as he ascends to the kingship. Comes out of, if you got your Bibles, it's 1 Samuel 17. You look it up on your iPhones, on your droids, I don't care what you do, it's all right. And if you don't have the scripture with you, we're going to put it up on the screen. But let me just remind you of what we've talked about with the life of David up until this point. David was a a shepherd, a son of a farmer, and God rejects the king and sends the prophet of God, the the man of, of the church, the leader of the religious folks in Israel, sends him to this guy's house. And if y'all remember last week, David is the last son that this father presents. And when he presents him, God says, that's my boy. That's him. That's the one I want. You know where David goes after God calls him to be king? After that, I mean, phenomenal moment. I mean, oil dripping all over him. Family saw it right in front of his brothers and his dad. You know where David goes? Right back out into the field. Let me just tell you something. Some of you, God's called you to do some amazing things. He's dropped it in you. You know it's there. But it's real easy to get discouraged because I got to go back out into the field and tend to some sheep when I just got anointed to be king. In the next chapter, we find, this is the chapter that we're going to look at, we find that Jesse, David's son, or David's father, comes to him. The older sons are at war. He sent them off to be a part of the army, but where's David? Still keeping some sheep. And so, Here's the anointed king of Israel keeping sheep. And Jesse takes him and says, son, I got a job for you. I know my sons are are hungry, and I want to send you to check up on them. The anointed king of Israel. All right? And I got some cheese. Could you take this? It's the only time that cutting cheese was kind of, I guess, honorable a little bit. You know? So David is is asked to take some some cheese and some bread to the leaders of the army and to check up on his brothers. The battle lines have been drawn, and on one side it's the Philistines, and on the other side it's the Israelites. Now in those days it was customary to say, listen, we don't need to settle this by killing everyone. You take your best man, I'll take my best man, They go head to head. Whoever wins, wins the war. And so the Philistines, day after day, had been parading their best man. And you know who he is. His name is Goliath. And Goliath, as scripture records, it was huge. I mean, he's like WWE, like on steroids, huge, right? I mean, big, tall, armor, intimidating. And he would come out every day. 
and yell out insults towards the armies of Israel. You know how it is when people start talking junk, right? It starts small, like, I'm going to beat you, but then it starts to spread a little bit. You start talking about everything else, and Goliath took it about as far as you could go. He started insulting the Israelites, God. And every day they would draw lines, and Goliath would come out, and Israel would get afraid and run. This is, so, this is just one of those moments in Scripture. There's so much in this today for us. David shows up humbly, a still a shepherd, anointed to be the next king, carrying some bread and some cheese. And he overhears what's happening. And he's offended. So he goes to Saul and says, man, if nobody else will fight him, I'll fight him. And Saul's like, you're just a kid. What the heck? You're like five foot tall. Like, well, how about try on my armor? Saul is, as scripture tells us, fairly large. He's kind of a tall guy. So David puts on his armor and it doesn't fit. And David says, hey, listen, when I was in, when I was in that field guarding the sheep, Several times a bear came. Several times a lion came. And I killed them. And today, as, as surely as I did that, this man who was insulted, my God, will fall as well. So we, we pick up the story. This is like, have y'all seen Braveheart? You know that scene with the It's just exactly like this. The lines have been drawn. One side's like they're about ready to run away. And William Wallace rides to the front. And it's like one of the most epic speeches in all of film, right? That's awesome. So we look in 1 Samuel 17. We'll see something here. And I want to tell you a little something that happened right before then. It's It's an important thing for us to know that that was going on. As he arrived and was asking around, his older brother overheard the conversation that he was having about what was going on. Now, his older brother, I don't know if you remember this, his older brother was the one that Jesse paraded in front of Samuel first. He's like, starts berating him. I mean, he starts just literally going after David and David continues to just ignore him and focus on what's at hand. And so we pick it up in verse 45. If you've got your Bibles, let's start there. This is one of those speeches. I'm just going to tell you, if you want to take like some scripture and put it on your bathroom mirror and read it every morning, this is one of them, right? I mean, this is one of them like, I want to go run outside and like charge hell with a water pistol after I read this. I mean, it's just that powerful because there's so much hidden in this moment. All right, so we're going to kick, kick it off here in, uh, in verse 45. David is addressing uh, Goliath at this point. So David said to the Philistine, you come against me. 
with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down, cut off your head. You come against me with swords, spears, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Think about that for a moment. And there's some stuff in here that's important. And it's important for you when it comes to conflict in your relationships. And the first thing is in your notes. I want you to write this down. Is that you got to check your motives. We got to check our motives when we walk into conflict. Because there's so many times we're playing the wrong game and it leads us into some conflict. I'm all concerned about what's going on for me. Listen, you didn't do what I needed you to do. I'm out of control. I'm upset about that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you're playing those games, it's just impossible to win. We see in David, let's, let's just look at this, this moment. And this is when, when uh, David is talking to King Saul. It's, it's verse 36 out of 1 Samuel 17. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. You see, David is motivated in this conflict and his motivation is really simple. His motivation is his love for the Father. It's not his hate of Goliath. It's not a disdain of the Philistines. It's not the fact that Israel needs to win a battle. His motivation is simply that he loves God. And I want you to know something, that in every sort of conflict that you walk through, you got to check your motives. You do. I don't know. One of y'all put on, on Facebook not too long ago you, that you taught your kids, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, and you're going to hate that you taught them that. I love that because that's exactly what's happening here. you got to check that. You gotta check what your motive is. When you start feeling that tension come up, you gotta be smart enough to go, what's really going on? Am I really being overly self-concerned right now? Am I worried about what's in it for me? Do I feel out of control? Am I being prideful? You gotta check your motives because... We learn from this moment that David, David was completely motivated because he loved Jesus. Let's go on. The second thing that we see out of this, this is important, the second thing you notice is that you got to choose your battles. Now here, here's David cutting and bringing some cheese, right? I mean, just 
He's, he's not even supposed to be there. He's not a warrior. He's not the goddess, you know, that, that is known throughout the land. He's not the guy. He's going to be several chapters later when the Israelites start singing, well, Saul has killed us thousands, but David, tens of thousands. He's not that guy yet. He's just showing up because his dad asked him to. And when he did, his brother started talking junk to him. Remember me telling you about that? In verses 28 and 30, his brother goes so far as to say, listen, you're only here because you want to watch this. You have a deceitful, wicked heart. I mean, not just, I'm not talking about just like picking on him, like saying you shouldn't be here. I mean, some mean, mean stuff. And David walked away. David walked away from it. And in your life, there's some, there's some things you just don't need to fight over. There's some things you just got to be smart enough to go, listen, I can't, I can't change that person. You're going to be mean like that. I'm just going to let you be mean, but I ain't going to let you be mean to me. I can't fix that. David knew that. Listen, this is not, this is not why I'm here. But the next thing in your notes is really important too. Don't run. Don't run. I want to look at two, two little verses that are in here. Verse 24 tells us the reaction that the Israelite army had when they saw Goliath. It's this. Verse 24 says, Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him with great fear. But as the battle begins to go down with Goliath and David, in verse 48, Scripture records this, that David ran quickly towards the battle. Can I tell you something? Some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth fighting for. Husbands, there's going to be some times that your wife's going to come home. She's going to have a friend. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. She's going to all come home, and it's going to be, she's going to be depressed. She's going to be sad. That friend's going to make her feel like crap every time they're around each other. All right? Sometimes you've got to go fight for your wife and say, you know what? You can't be around that person anymore. You can't. That just doesn't work. I'm not going to let you be around someone that treats you that way. I love you way too much. I value you way too much. Parents, sometimes you've got to go fight for your kids. I mean, you're going to see them. You're going to see them making decisions and you're going to be like, that is just the dumbest thing that you could possibly do. Let me just tell you, the one thing 
In all of my years of working with students, the one common thread of successful parents is this. They don't quit. They don't stop. There's no one kid that has the same technique. You can read thousands of books about parenting techniques. The thing that makes parents successful is that they don't stop. They don't run from it. And your kids are worth it. Fight for them. There's some stuff in life that's worth fighting for. And we live in a culture that has quit fighting. And it's worth it. Your families, they're worth fighting for. They are. And it doesn't work unless you put that kind of effort into it. Because in the middle of that, there's going to be conflict. It's not going to be easy. Relationships are two people. Two people that are coming together with all kinds of different backgrounds, beliefs, and all different brands of crazy getting mixed up together. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's going to be conflict. So I wanted to share with you just some practical things of how to navigate conflict, all right? Just four practical things to put in place to help you navigate conflict in your relationships, right? The first thing is don't escalate the conflict. Don't escalate the conflict. The thing that you notice about David all the way through this story is he stays focused on the issue. You have insulted my God. Goliath, you have insulted my God. I'm, that's all I need. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm not going to talk about your mama. I'm not going to talk about how ugly you are. I'm not going to talk about you not cleaning up the dishes last night. I'm just going to talk about the fact that you have insulted my God. Don't escalate it. Guys, sometimes we come home a little later than we told our wives. I know. I know we we do that sometimes. Go to watch a game at a friend's house and we say, we'll be back at nine. We'll get back at 9.30 and we'll get back and you know what there is? There's conflict. When it happens, don't do what some guys do and take it from a two to a 10 because you know if you take it to a 10, she'll back down. Don't be that kind of man. The second thing, Stay focused on the issue. You see that in David here. He just, I mean, once he locks in on the fact that Goliath has insulted his God, he is not letting go of that. His brother can talk all the junk to him he wants. But he's not letting go of that one. This issue is about to get resolved and it ain't going to be real fun for you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's what was going through his head. Stay focused on the issue. In that same scenario, sometimes when the husband comes home, he's a little bit late. He, he should have been home at 9. He told you he's going to be. Sometimes wife sits 
So our tendency is in arguments to say, you're not home. And, and you know what? You weren't home last week. You weren't home two months ago. And, and I asked you to wash my car. You ain't done it yet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like it just starts, woo. And you're like, after a while, you're like, God, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Do I need to go through each one and apologize, you know? Stay focused on the issue. The third thing, the third thing is this, and this is important. Remember that there's always two problems. In every conflict, there's always two problems. There's a a symptom and there's a disease. There's a symptom and there's a disease. Now, parents, let me just tell you this. This is important, okay? The symptoms are the behaviors that you see in your children. If your child lies to you, your child is not a liar. There's something else going on in their heart that caused them to lie. And if you don't work towards a resolution in their heart, you're going to miss it by just modifying their behavior. There's always two problems. There's a symptom and there's a disease. And the last thing is this. Always work towards a resolution. And the Bible says that we grow by like iron sharpens iron. So in the midst of conflict and grinding something out with a friend or with a, a family member that we grow. That means something should happen at the end of that. And too often in, in relationships and at home, we'll go through all the investment emotionally to be involved in a conflict and we come out the end and all we've done is shared some frustration. That's it. That's all we've done. There's no resolution to do something different. Now, I don't know that every time you come up with, let's try this, it's going to work. But I'm going to promise you something. If you keep trying stuff, you're going to find something that works. So in the middle of conflict, always work towards a resolution. I mean, David gives Goliath the resolution in the little speech I read just now. You're going to be dead in about five minutes. That's what's about to happen in this one. You blew it. Sorry. You're going to be dead. Right? Let's not make that the resolution in your fights. All right? Let's just all around the room. Let's not. Don't do that. That's a bad resolution at home. All right? I know sometimes with the kids, you're like, I won't. Nope. Don't go there. Don't do that. All right? But those four things, I promise you, if you can take those four things and start plugging them in, things can start shifting. And here's the last thing that I want you to see. So sometimes we need to redefine what winning is. Let me take you back to the beginning of this story. What is it? It's two armies, right? Two armies pitched on each side the Israelite army and the Philistine army. And what's the goal of what's going to happen? It's our best guy against your best guy. David, isn't in the, he's not even in the army. 
He says, shepherd. Who cut some cheese, right? I mean, that's who he is. He's a shepherd who brought some food. He just happens to be there that day. You know, traditionally, if you were looking at that scenario, winning would be this, that the Israelite army attacked and they won. That's not what happened at all. They win at the end, but they win because a shepherd boy was faithful to God. And sometimes, sometimes we need to redefine winning in the middle of conflict. David said in that little speech that we read in verse 45, you come against me with swords and spears. I come against you in the name of the Lord. So let me give you one statement that I think guides what winning in the midst of conflict looks like. It's this. When we win in conflict, God is honored. People are loved. Truth is shared. And change happens. God is honored. People are loved. Truth is shared. And change happens. Now for years I've heard men and women come in and out of my office and say stuff like, it's stupid when they say it. I always look at them and think, you, you probably shouldn't say that because at some point it's going to come back and bite you. They'll say stuff like, we've been married for 20 years and we've never fought. Now I smile at him, and this is what I'm thinking in my head. You're a liar. That's <laughs> what so I'm thinking. There's only two things. There's only two things that are happening. One is that, is that you don't have a good definition of what fighting means. Because if you mean like hitting, yeah, I mean, we ain't never fought either. But I'm going to be honest with you, you know, this, we actually had a toilet paper fight yesterday. Like yesterday, I'm not even kidding. It just keeps coming back. All right. Or the second thing is is that they run. That they run from conflict. You know what happens if you don't have conflict in your life? You know what happens if from this moment, God came to you and said, listen, would you... Would you accept a deal, this deal, I will give no more conflict the rest of your life. You know what happens in you? Nothing. Nothing happens in you. Because it's conflict that shapes us. And if we're not willing to walk through it the way that God intends us to, we're gonna miss the gifts that God's giving us all along the way. Now, the ultimate conflict that we all live in, and it's a a conflict that we live in every moment, is a conflict between the person that God wants you to be and the person that you are. But I can tell you today that that battle, the battle for the person that God wants you to be has already been won. And that's through 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That, that conflict that we feel inside, like, God, I know you want me to be this way, but I, I'm just, I'm, I feel this inclination and this proclivity to be another way. That battle has already been won. Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. And this is something that if you listen to me pray, I pray this for you. I pray this for me a lot. Romans 8.29 says that we are being conformed into his image. I'm being shaped so that every day, every moment, I'm looking more and more and more and more like Jesus. But sometimes to be shaped, you've got to be broken. Sometimes to be worked on, stuff has got to be taken away. You see, shaping doesn't happen without conflict. Shaping doesn't happen without conflict. So I want to ask you one question as I get ready to to pray. And it's real simple. Are you running? Are you running? Today, in that tension where I know that God wants me to be this way and I've, man, I've, I've not been that way. I've been running from that. Maybe, maybe in a relationship, there's, there's a, a fight that needs to happen because there's something that's worth fighting for. Have you been running from that? Let's pray. God, today, for those of us who have sensed your, your goodness, I just want to take a moment and thank you that you don't withhold conflict from us, that in the midst of times like this, God, that you have always been so faithful to give us a way out, but to allow this thing to shape us and to conform us and mold us so that, like Romans says, we can be conformed into the image of Jesus. And for some of us, God, we've been running from that because I don't like it and it feels real bad. So, Lord, for those of us that have been running, let's stop. God, give us the strength to turn around and to face whatever it is, even if it's you. So today, God, if there's someone that's been running from you in here, I pray that you would call their name and that they would stop running in this moment and turn and face you. And sometimes turning and facing you means that we gotta face some mess, that we gotta face some brokenness and that we gotta be willing to have some things taken away and to have some new things added in there. But God, if we don't stop running, nothing's ever going to change. So all around the room today, everybody keep your eyes closed. I have one really quick question to ask you. 
It's the most important question you're ever going to answer. Are you ready to stop running? Are you ready to stop running? Today, are you ready to stop running? Are, is, has life kind of proven itself to you that, listen, nothing's going to change if you continue to run? Are you ready to stop running today? If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now so I can pray with you. Raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Anybody else ready to stop running today? So Father, for those of us that are in this room, we just say, I'm tired of running. I'm ready to face. I'm ready to face the mess and I'm ready to engage my life with yours. Give them strength, encourage them, love them, bless them. God, lead them like only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.